the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It's Friday, which means we've made it to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, remember the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we got a lot going on here tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, out of Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to finish the chapter. I think my verses are 15 through 29 tonight. Uh, it's a very logical study. It, it's the kind of study that appeals to me because I think logically um, not a thrilling or exciting study, but I think a really important study in terms of how we view the law and our relationship to the law. And remember, there's always a bunch of people that are legalists. I got to do this and I got to do that. And they want to make everybody else do those things. So this is really uh, the Apostle Paul giving us the breakdown on what the law's purpose really was. And the law's purpose, of course, was simply to lead us to Christ. So that's tonight here at uh, 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com if you are interested. On Sunday, it is Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, the first Sunday of every month. I absolutely love it. So um, we're in the book of Acts. I'm going to be dealing primarily with chapter 12 uh, in the book of Acts, the first of the apostles who were martyred for their faith and the attempt to do likewise to Peter when he was rescued from the Lord. So lots of stuff going on wherever you go to church uh, and Communion Sunday for many of you. Um, remember how grateful, remember how grateful you were when you realized you were forgiven of your sins and come to the Lord's table with that heart of gratitude. Well, let me get to some questions while we await any phone calls that you might uh, provide today. Here's a question from Ola from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Anna, Mama Paula. Please advise on listening to podcasts, watching movies, etc. that use vulgar language, even if the message is about criticizing bullies. I listen to podcasts that combat online bullies, but the host uses bad words. Is it okay to comment as a voice of reason, or do I need to leave them alone? I believe in their cause, but wish they didn't cuss. I can't say that the bullies have not upset me too, but I refrain from cussing and just advice on repentance. Thank you, Ola. It's always good to hear from you. We pray that you are doing well and remember that we love you 
and it's been a long time since we've uh, heard your voice or seen you uh, or had you call in to the radio show. Um, you know, Ola, uh, you know, we live in a world that's ugly and, and language is ugly, and we can't shield ourselves from it. Uh, I don't expect when I turn on any sort of a podcast, I, I, I don't expect that the language is going to be clean. I draw the line personally when they start using the Lord's name in vain. Uh, but I'm not a prude. You're not a prude. Again, we live in this world, and I think our presence in that world is fairly important. And when I say it's important, it's important because darkness always needs a light. And so there's nothing wrong with you listening to this, and it's not like you shrink up. Oh, I can't believe they used those bad words. Just expect them to. We don't expect unbelievers to act like believers, and sadly, even believers on podcasts and stuff are cursing. Um, there, there's actually a program, a podcast here locally in San Antonio called R-Rated Christianity, and they think they're being cool by using uh, ugly language. Um, but but if this is a cause that's important to you, and clearly it is, then you can go ahead and listen to it. And if you comment, um, comment, uh, identify yourself, not by name necessarily, but, but I'm a Christian, and this program would be a lot easier to listen to if, in fact, the host wasn't using filthy language. Now, as unbelievers, they're going to say, oh, it's not important. These are just words. Um, but But at least you're light is shining. So that's the best we can do. Again, I think it's it's naive for us, uh, we who are Christians, I think it's naive to, to uh, hope that uh, suddenly unbelievers will, will change the way they talk. Uh, podcasts are notorious for foul language. Um, just expect it. Don't get thrown off by it. Uh, and don't feel guilty because you're there. I think you can tell in your spirit when it becomes less than edifying. And that's when you would just leave. Just be careful not to be influenced by um, by what's being said on the podcast. You know, it's interesting. I grew up in a time, of course, where there were no, nothing like a podcast. You watched the news and you couldn't swear on on television. So um, uh, the news was, was pretty clean. And we've watched this descent into darkness and now even those who are are, are, are championing good causes um, are doing so using the language of this world excuse me the language of this world so uh, just don't expect any different and glean from it what you can um, and again I just remind you for me personally uh, when they start taking God's name in vain. There's a lot of interesting conversation, but that's that to me is when it ceases to be interesting at all. Uh, and that's my approach to it, Ola. So I hope that makes sense to you. Again, good to hear from you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. I, I assume that's the case. And uh, good to hear from you. Uh, here is a question that came in anonymously. The issue is the chosen and the LGBTQ flag on set. Uh, and the uh, writer says, I saw this pop up last night. Here's the link to the article. The article just links on the, the set of The Chosen. We've, we've, most of us seen The Chosen. Um, on the set of The Chosen, uh, there was a picture that was taken that circulated uh, online um, of an LGBTQ flag, a pride flag, um, on set. And it was put there by one of the um, men or women who are working on the project, uh, I don't know if they did it as a protest, you know, uh, uh, Jesus loves LGBTQ people too. Um, but, but here's how the creator of The Chosen has responded. He said, I've, I've always made it known that the people that work, and, and in Hollywood we should expect nothing else, the people that work uh, on our crew uh, we have people from every walk of life, and we can't just hire Christians. And um, uh, they all contribute to the, the authenticity of the project. And, and uh, uh, what he said was that we shouldn't, this is Dallas Jenkins, um, he, we shouldn't judge the product, the chosen, by anything other than the finished product. And he says, somebody who is LGBTQ and puts up a pride on set, um, we're not going to censor them. Uh, we didn't even notice until the, the, the 
sorry, we didn't even notice until the, the pictures started circulating online, but they're not going to edit all those things. They're, they're not going around making sure there are none of those things. Uh, so this is uh, a movie by Christians or, or a project by Christians, uh, but make no mistake, all the people working on it are not Christians. Now, here's our dilemma. What does that mean to us? Uh, if we watch the show and we're edified by it, and I think everybody who's watched the show is, has been edified by it. Um, the, the pride flag didn't change the product or the value of the product to us. And I think we who are believers, you know, we've, we've got to be a little more grown up in our approach. Um, it is naive to expect, again, as I said earlier, in Hollywood that there aren't going to be gay people or trans people who are working on the set. That's the work pool that they draw from. Um, and, and it doesn't cheapen the product. If the product has integrity, if the product is, is a quality product as, as the chosen is, um, then I think we need not to be so sensitive and in, in this particular case, they're calling for a boycott. Again, I think as Christians, we need to grow up a little bit. The idea that we should boycott it, nobody should watch it because there was a pride flag on it. You know, uh, darkness is where the light needs to be. And uh, frankly, and I, I'm going to say this, uh, uh, I hope I'm understood, but but the quality of the product is such that uh, I'm glad that there are unbelievers who are working on the crew. They're exposed to Jesus day in and day out for the length of the filming. And again, in the place where darkness is, light needs to come. And that's what we should expect. You know, there's no uh, pure thing. This isn't a, uh, that, that flag contaminates everything uh, agenda here. Uh, and, and that's what many Christians do. We're so good at protesting things and boycotting things and finding fault with things. I think it's embarrassing, frankly, to, to Christ. I think it's embarrassing uh, to, to Christians, to the church. Uh, I think we need to get over ourselves and understand that uh, everywhere there's darkness. It's our responsibility to bring light. And frankly, in things like this, we're acting uh, like children instead of like mature Christians. So I hope that answers your question. We've got Mark from Austin on line one. Mark, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I was, my question is, I try to witness a lot and pray for God to give me opportunities. And I was witnessing someone yesterday. And the thing I, I've noticed, and I'm just wondering your opinion because I can't figure it out myself. I've been a Christian a long time. I know it says he chose us before the foundation of the world. And I notice I witnessed some people. And they listen, and others, like yesterday, this guy was being tormented by demons and even knew he was and still didn't seem to. And I said, well, you want to, you need to accept Christ, and he didn't want to do it. I've noticed, mm-hmm. do you think the Holy Spirit reaches out to everyone, and then the majority just say, no, I don't want this, and because the road's wide that leads to destruction, or does he reach out to some that he's calling to him? I mean, how do you think that operates? You know, Mark, it's a good question, and I want to thank you for being faithful to witness to people. That's so important. You know, Paul writes to Philemon in in the sixth verse of that one chapter precious letter. He says to Philemon, I pray that you are active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And and those of us who are sharing our faith uh, really get it. I mean, we understand what God has done for us and we want others to be saved. Um, your ministry, Mark, is just like Jesus's. Uh, there were people that listened to him and there were many more people who didn't listen to him. I mean, if you think about it, at the end of Jesus' life, there were only about 120 people who who could be called his followers. And uh, the rest of the crowd, the, the, the huge part of the crowd, um, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. We will not have this man rule over us. Now, this isn't a matter of whether or not they were chosen. That's just always going to be the response of the gospel. And you brought it up in your question you said uh, the road to salvation is narrow and few find it. It's not Jesus' fault if they don't find it. Um, um, but but the, the road to destruction is wide and well-traveled. In other words, the world has already hardened its heart against Jesus. So uh, God chooses people. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, indicate clearly that the basis of God's choice is, 
is his foreknowledge. In other words, Mark, he knows who's going to choose him and who's going to reject him. And so that's the idea that is chosen. It's not that you're sharing with and, and the person that says, I don't want to hear about it. it. It's not that they can't hear about it. It's that they've already made their decision to reject Jesus Christ. Their heart is hard. They don't want anything to do with it. It has nothing to do with your presentation. Your responsibility, according to Jesus in the parable of the sower, is just to keep doing what you're doing. Scatter seeds. Sow the word of God. Sow it generously, liberally, wherever you go. God's responsibility is to make it grow to give it a, a, a hold, to find some solid ground. And the, the, the ground, of course, represents the human heart. Um, your job is just to throw seed. That's why we can't take any credit if somebody gets saved. It always frustrates us. and says, yeah, oh, I got this guy saved or I led this person to the Lord. We don't save anybody. We just scatter seed. The Holy Spirit does the work. And Jesus is pleased with you, Mark, for continuing to do so regardless of their response You just keep scattering the word of God and he'll make it grow. And when you share and somebody receives God, you don't get the credit. When somebody rejects God, it's not because you did it wrong. So I hope that makes sense, Mark. Thank you for the question again. Thank you for sharing your faith. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app. This one was anonymous. Hello, Pastor. What advice would you and Paula give for home Bible reading for a couple who is unequally yoked? Tips for productive and fruitful Bible reading. You know, Anonymous, I prefer to make it really simple. Um, uh, one, uh, if you're the, the the believer, and I'm assuming that's the case because you're writing in to the show, um, all you do is read it. Let the Word do the work. Um, if if your spouse has agreed to read together, you read a chapter, let him read that chapter back to you, and then hopefully some conversation will occur. But again, don't have any expectations of an unbeliever. You just be the light for Christ in your home. You let the Word of God do its work. You know, a lot of times we think we've got to explain it, we've got to teach it. None of that matters. Let the Word do the work. The Holy Spirit will work on your spouse's heart. But just read it. Don't have any expectations. Just read it, and you do it faithfully. Um, if, if, if your spouse uh, doesn't want to do it one day, let, let him or her see that you're going to be there. And and be consistent and just read it. Let the Lord speak to your heart. And if your spouse then says, well, okay, I'll come and read with you, just say thank you. Don't make it a, a chore. Don't make it something that's really boring. Don't make it a Bible study where you're preaching to somebody. Just read it and then ask questions. Well, what do you think is meant by that passage that we just read? And let it lead to conversations. And again, do not get frustrated or impatient if the unbelieving spouse um, isn't really all that interested in carrying on the conversation. You just do your part and let the Lord honor that. And pray for your spouse. Read the word. Be consistent. And then make sure, and this is really hard, Anonymous, but make sure that your life, the, the life being lived in your home, your part is consistent with what you're reading in the Bible together. And that's really important because our faith needs to be attractive. We don't compromise it. We don't soften it. But the, the fruit that comes from our lives needs to be something that your spouse will see. And eventually they'll say, you know what? I want what he has or I want what she has. You understand, Anonymous, uh, how painful it is being an unequally yoked relationship. Uh, that's another ministry source for a lot of you out there. You know, just if you're in an unequally yoked situation, then what you need to tell people is simply um, don't do it. If you're considering getting married to an unbeliever, don't do it. I love my husband or I love my wife, but there's so much pain. There's so much pain. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Here is a question. This one is from Tracy. 
And it just says, once saved, always saved, with a question mark. Tracy, uh, this is a question. People don't like my answer because we want definitive uh, response. Uh, here's the answer. If you were ever saved, you're always saved. Um, our problem with once saved, always saved, is we see a lot of people who make a profession of faith, and they don't follow through with that profession of faith, and they say, oh, yeah, I was saved. I answered an invitation, or I got baptized, but they're not living a life that's demonstrating any fruit of the Spirit. And and for us to believe that people who are living as ungodly men and women, to, to, to assume that they're saved is to be naive. Just because we say it with our mouth doesn't mean that we're really saved. To believe in Jesus means to love him. To love him means to obey him. And to walk with him, we come to him on his terms. Um, so all of that to say, if somebody's really born again, and that's what being saved is, it's not saying I got saved, it's not answering an invitation, it's not uh, being baptized, it's being born again. That's dying to you so you can live for Christ, and then the Spirit of God living in you will produce fruit coming from you. That person, Tracy, will always be saved. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit, this is I think verse 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance and that guarantee is is a guarantee that God provides. It's not me saying you're you're saved. It's God saying your inheritance is sure. It's certain. So if you're really saved, you're going to be saved. Now, that doesn't mean people won't sin. It doesn't mean that they won't fall away for a time or drift away. That happens. We know it happens. But the reality is that um, the truly saved man or woman, after drifting away, will find his or her way back to the Lord. There'll be pain. There'll be consequences. But they'll find their way back to the Lord. Again, our problem is that we see so many people who say they're saved but they're living completely ungodly lives. You can't differentiate them from unbelievers at all. And they want the, the, the security of thinking they're going to heaven. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm saved. Um, but the reality is there's a whole bunch of people walking around with eternal life insurance policies that are never going to be cashed in. Jesus said, um, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I tell you to do? Depart from me, you doer of iniquity, for I never knew you. And Tracy, there are going to be a lot of people, a lot of people who are going to stand before the Lord on that day thinking, hoping that they're saved. But as soon as they look into that face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance, as they see that blazing holiness of God, they're going to know. And that's the point where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And for those who were pretending, those who were playing Christian or playing church uh, in their lives, uh, that's going to be a terrifying moment for them. So the answer to the question is yes, we have eternal security. John wrote his first epistle indicating that he wrote these things that we might know that we belong to God. That we might know, not guess, not hope, not keep our fingers crossed, but that we might know. And God wants us to have that security. That's why he's made us these great and glorious promises. And the problem, Tracy, is, um, you know, we use the promise of God or that that false security um, and we misinterpret it as freedom to sin instead of understanding, as born-again believers do, that we're free not to sin. So if you're ever saved, if you're ever born again, God doesn't take it back. But if you're playing with the Lord, he's going to bring you to a place where you're going to stand before him and you're going to know that he's righteous in all of his judgments. So that's what eternal security is all about. You know, we're coming to the end of the first half of our program. Let me talk about this just for a moment. You know, if 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 your wife or your husband every morning would get up to you and say, do you love me? Paula asked me every day before I got saved. She asked me every day if I love her. She didn't ask me that anymore. She knows I love her. But you see, it was frustrating for me because I would say to her, look, I told you I loved you when I married you. I tell you every day when you ask me the question, yes, I love you. But I didn't act like it. I didn't act like it. She didn't. There was no benefit to her of that, that kind of love. Can you imagine 
as much as Paula was tormented asking that question, can you imagine how heartbroken Jesus is? The one who demonstrated his love once and for all. He demonstrated his love by dying for us on a cross. He took the beating that we deserve. He took the punishment for our sins. And we still have the nerve to ask him, do you really love me? And every time we struggle with this, well, I know I'm saved, but but can I lose my salvation? I really, with all of my heart, I believe that that question breaks Jesus' heart. It's almost like he would say, what more do I have to do to prove to you that I love you? What have I ever done that would make you question whether or not I love you? Again, I think it breaks his heart. So here's what we need to do. We need to walk in the security of knowing that we truly belong to him. And if there's any doubt in your mind, settle that issue. Open your Bible. Repent of your sins. And let the Holy Spirit give you the peace that's only available because we've made peace with God. And then what follows for us is the peace of God. That's exactly what he wants us to do. So, Tracy, hope that answers your question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. This is June 2nd. My goodness, time is going. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We love your calls and questions. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757 here's a question from jason This is a really interesting question. He said, do you think an unbeliever can show fruits of the Spirit? Um, Jason, the answer to your question is clearly yes. Love. There's a lot of unbelievers that are loving people. Um, Joy and peace. Of course, there are a lot of unbelievers that are really good people and they're filled with joy. Now, there's always an emptiness in in their lives and they're aware of it. I mean, the Holy Spirit's always knocking on that door. But they're just nice people. I've seen some some unbelieving people that are nice. They pay their bills. They they try to do what's right in life. So, yes, unbelievers can show some of the fruits of the Spirit. The problem is that it all falls short in their own lives as it relates to their own benefit. There's always this gnawing at their hearts. You know, before I got saved... I knew I was lost. I couldn't explain it. I wasn't raised in church. I couldn't explain it. But I knew something was missing. Uh, in, in, in the Gospels, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Um, what must I do to obtain eternal life? When Jesus told him, he knew he was still missing something. Well, all these things I've done since my youth, what do I still lack? He knew there was still something missing. And this rich young ruler is a perfect illustration of of uh, what you ask in the question, Jason. Uh, he was rich. He was young. means he was an important man. He was probably good-looking, too. Uh, he had everything going for him. And yet his heart was empty. Uh, and yet I'm sure the people would have looked at him and said, you know, that's a good man. That's an important man. And uh, he's always trying to do the right thing. So, yes, unbelievers can demonstrate some fruits of the Spirit. But there's always a limit to what we can do in our own power or 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 by our own will. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to consistently walk 
in a demonstration of the fruits of the Spirit. And those are the things that we need to focus on. So, uh, Jason, yes, I do believe an unbeliever uh, can be nice. An unbeliever can be somebody who's pleasant to be around. Uh, An unbeliever can be moral. An unbeliever can try really hard not to lie and do all the things that, that, that humans do. But he's always going to fall short and he's always or she's always going to be aware of the fact that, that the best they can do is still lacking something. And that's why we need to really pray for them. In my experience, Jason, nice people, good people, the, the, the man or woman that we would look at and say, that's a good man or that's a good woman. Remember, there's none good, not even one, because our standard of good is is sorely lacking. God's standard of good is perfection. It's the only way to get to heaven apart from believing in Jesus Christ and having his righteousness given to us. Um, we might look at those people and say, well, you know, they got to be saved. They're so nice. But believe me, they know that there's something lacking. Good question. Here's a question from Jennifer. She says, if God knows what choices we're going to make, and nothing can be done to change them, what is the point of praying about things? Jennifer, um, that's a really selfish approach to prayer. Um, The reason we pray, I'm going to give you two, two reasons. First, we pray because Jesus told us to. Over and over and over, he demonstrated the value, the importance of prayer, and of course, his word tells us that we're to pray even without ceasing. Now, that's the most important reason, obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. But the main reason is that we don't pray to get God to change his mind to do what we want. We pray so that we can get the mind and the heart of Christ. That's the reason we pray. The more we pray, the more like him we become. The more of his heart uh, is, is put into our heart. And then we can pray as he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. And Jennifer, um, God knows the choice you're going to make, but he doesn't make you make that choice. And this sort of a fatalistic approach to prayer, well, if he knows what I'm going to do, well, why should I pray about it? Um, You can change what you do. You can make a new decision. And all you got to do is be open to saying, okay, Lord, I want what you want. Jennifer, I've got big prayer lists. I mean, I know a lot of people and there's just always a lot going on. I've got big prayer lists. And um, I I would hate to think that I'm praying so that I get something. And I think the more mature we become become, and and the more often we pray... um, the more we pray for other people rather than for ourselves. I think the man or the woman, the Christian who is praying always, God, give me this, God, bless this. Um, I think that that demonstrates a lack of maturity in our prayers. And our prayers ought to be uh, for those people that, that God has put around us. And then as it relates to us personally, I'm going to paraphrase the Apostle Paul. He said that we ought to pray that we would grow in the knowledge of God and of his will for our lives. So, Jennifer, very important. We pray because he said to. And as we pray, we become more like him. And then we pray to get his will to be our will. I was talking to a young couple today, and I was sharing what I think is the hardest verse in the New Testament for any of us to understand or to obey. It's where Jesus said, if you find your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for me, you'll find it. That seems so foreign to us. So one of the things that we ought to be praying for every single day is, Lord, I want to lose my life so that the only purpose and point in my life is you and doing your will for your glory. That's when you start getting prayers answered, and that's when you're making the changes and getting to that place where Jesus can truly hear and answer your prayers. Good question. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Let's go to Caesar on line one from San Antonio. Caesar, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, hi, Pastor Juan. I just wanted to uh, say, first say hi. It's been a minute since I've called. 
Um, I'm currently working at a job where Monday through Thursday I'm getting off way later than what I used to, so I can only <laughs> tune in on Fridays. So it's a pleasure hearing you. Uh, but Thank I you. Your YouTube videos, so I'm still in touch with uh, Calvary Church. In a sense. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, my question was, last week I was at a Sweet 16, and since you were on the topic of prayers, something happened and it just, you know, I remembered it. But um, the pastor or the preacher... Um, or the priest, I can't, I, I don't know if it was a pastor or a priest, but nonetheless, he said a prayer for the, the little, the young ladies that was having to see. But it was a, re, a pre-written prayer. And it made me feel a little weird, and I just, you know, I thought about it. I know how I feel about written, pre-written prayers. I just wanted to get your opinion and thoughts on pre-written prayers coming from a pastor or just a regular individual. Thank you for your answer in advance. Uh, God bless you, Pastor Ron. Love you. Thank you. Thank you, Caesar. Good to hear from you again. You know, that's not my style, Caesar. I um, I want to. I try to be led by the Spirit when I pray, especially in a public setting like that. So it's not something that I personally would do. But but I can't say it's wrong either. Um, I'm sure I want to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody. I'm sure that he wanted his prayer to be. Um, inclusive of, of of all of the things that God has put on his heart, uh, he he wanted this to be a special event for the young woman who was involved. Uh, and uh, again, I don't see really anything wrong with it. But again, it's not my style. It's not something uh, that I would do. I love the opportunity to pray publicly. I I, I don't want to make them super long prayers. I'm not preaching in my prayers. But, um, um, you know, there are times when God will give you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, uh, even a word of prophecy. Now, remember, that doesn't make you a prophet. It's just the gift of prophecy. Uh, and, and I like to give the Lord some room to do that. Uh, but not everybody's the same. And I'm sure in public he just wanted to be absolutely certain that he said what was on his heart to say. And, and for some people, that's the easiest way to do it. Thank you, Caesar. Good to hear from you again. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Leslie. Ooh, here's a question I haven't had for a long time. Leslie said, "The shack. May I have your thoughts, please?" Leslie, the shack is one of the most polarizing uh, books uh, th- that has ever hit the Christian marketplace. Uh, hugely successful. I mean, beyond anything anybody could have imagined. Uh, Paul Young is the author. Uh, I've met Paul Young. I uh, don't know him, but I've met him. Um, and um, the the book was criticized uh, for its portrayal of God the Father as a black woman, um, and that's just one of the reasons for the for the criticism. Um, and um, of course, Paul Young was branded a heretic by all of the the uh, online discernment ministries, which, by the way, aren't very discerning at all. And people want you to condemn it because of the what they call the mischaracterizations of God. Uh, I found it just the opposite, Leslie. Uh, I read it. I enjoyed it. I saw the movie. I enjoyed the movie. Um, and I have used the book to minister to a whole bunch of people whose lives in the past were broken. You know, we pray for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. Uh, the broken and the confused, boy, that book was a, a godsend for them because it portrays God as a loving God, a God who who um, meets us where we need to be met. This was sort of autobiographical. Paul Young went through some childhood trauma, and the idea of a loving father figure to him was impossible to conceive. And this is a picture in his mind and heart of how God met him. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of people who are raised um, without a father or with abusive parents. Um, uh, young people who feel like, not not just young people now, but people who feel like uh, they've been victimized and abused, and the idea of a loving father is so foreign to them. And uh, I found that book exceptionally helpful, exceptionally helpful to people uh, who had that kind of a, of a background, especially physical abuse. Um, God used it. I don't think we ought to Throw it out. 
Um, I think a lot of us, we take ourselves too seriously. Uh, this, this is a piece of fiction. Um, this isn't a Bible study. It is a piece of fiction. It has creative artistry and creative license. And uh, I think God, well, I don't have to think. I mean, just the, the numbers itself uh, indicate how widely this book has been used by people, and for that we ought to applaud rather than condemn. And I don't know, there's just too many Christians, Leslie, who are never content unless they're condemning anybody and everybody. I refer to the question we had in the first half of the program about the chosen, because one of the workers had a pride flag on the on the set. Now we're supposed to understand, well, all that stuff that was a blessing to me wasn't really a blessing at all. We need to be more mature in our approach to that. So I hope that helps. Let's go to New Brumfels, Texas, and talk with Chris on line one. Chris, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Chris, oh, we Chris dropped. Sorry, Chris. Didn't know you were holding that long. Uh, lines are open right now if, in fact, you want to call back. Here is a question, this one from Philip. Um, Pesteron, help me to understand believers being judged in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If our sins are forgiven, why are we going to be judged? Philip, this is a believer's um, a judgment. It's a bema seat. The Greek word is B-E-M-A. It's like a, uh, an awards podium at, a, at an ancient Olympics, you know, when they would run the race and there'd be the winner would get a, a, a crown on his head and be acknowledged as the winner. Uh, well, this is that kind of a judgment. And it's not a judgment of salvation at all. Uh, that's going to be the great white throne judgment at the end. And, of course, that's described as the second death. And we who are believers have no part of that second death judgment. But this is a judgment to find out uh, about our works. God wants to give us rewards, crowns in heaven. And uh, the crowns are going to be given based on the good things we did, the obedient things that we did, the heart with which we did them. Uh, literally, the, the Greek in First Corinthians 3 is to see if the works are good or good for nothing. I think our Bibles say good or bad, but it's good or good for nothing. In other words, there's a lot of good things that we can do. Um, Philip, but if we do them with the wrong motive, if we do them uh, to advance us instead of advancing the cause of Christ, if we do it to attract the attention of people instead of just do it to, because we love God, um, then they're going to be good for nothing works and there's not going to be any crown for that kind of work. So this is a reward seat where we will both get, be given and lose rewards. You see, our life here on earth has to matter. You know, uh, too many of us, we like to think, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and heaven is going to be great. But there's also going to be some pain when we stand before God on this judgment seat and we find out that God had a lot of stuff for us to do and we didn't do it. Or maybe we gave and we gave with the wrong heart. Well, I'll feel guilty if I don't. There's no reward for that kind of giving. Maybe we served in church but we serve to get the attention of other people so they could see how blessed we are or how, how gifted we are. No reward for that kind of, of work. Those are works that are going to be burned up. Um, the Bible says those are the wood, hay, and stubble works. And, of course, in a fire of judgment, they're going to be destroyed. And we want to be the ones found to do the precious stones work, the, the gems uh, that, that will be judged. And when our works stand that kind of scrutiny, then the Lord is going to smile. He's going to give us these crowns and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we all want to hear. Now, the crown in and of itself, a great reward, and we want them, but we're going to throw those crowns back down at his feet. It's our way of acknowledging that every good thing that we ever did came from you, came through you, because it was for you. And that's the judgment seat. So it's a judgment for works or deeds. It doesn't mean, um, did I read 10 chapters a day? It's not that kind of a judgment. It's just the things that we did. Maybe we helped somebody out expecting to get something back for it. Maybe in a church, we gave to the church because uh, our pastor said, well, if you give, God will give to you uh, 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold. Um, no, no crown for that kind of giving. So that's the kind of, of judgment 
uh, Philip, that First Corinthians 3 talks about. Also, by the way, Romans chapter 12 talks about that very same thing. So, yeah, our lives here, what we do, how we do it, the heart with which we do things, all of that matters because God wants to give us rewards. And I really believe, I really believe that that as heartbroken as we will be when we lose rewards, Jesus will be even more heartbroken. And my church knows this because I talk about it from time to time. But but one of the things that haunts me, just haunts me, is 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 getting to that bema seat, and Jesus opening up. Say, I, in in my mind, it's a big uh, uh, chest. Oh, they open the and all these crowns are in there. He said, Ron, here's a crown for this. And then he also said, but I can't give this one to you because you weren't obedient. So I had to find somebody else. I'm going to give this crown to this person. And and that's going to cut deeply. That's going to cut deeply. And I don't want to be in that situation. And I think too many of us, we have the idea that, well, as long as I get to heaven, that's all I care about. We're going to care about a lot more than just that when we get to heaven. I promise you that. So good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Veronica. Uh, Jesus said to abide in him. Can you tell me what that looks like practically? Um, Veronica, I say it this way. I said it on this program a bunch. I say it to my church almost every Bible study. Just be with Jesus. That's what it looks like. Be with Jesus just like you would be with him if he were here physically. Walk with him. Talk to him. Follow him. He said, my sheep... Uh, know my voice, I call them by name, and they follow me. Too many of us are out in front of Jesus saying, come on, Lord, and we, we don't really get why uh, we're not seeing uh, any of his power in our lives. Well, to abide in him means to make him really the only thing that matters. Now, all the other things that matter to us in life, they're important to us, but all of those things are better and richer when Jesus comes first. To love Jesus more than you love anything or anyone else in your life. To do what he wants you to do instead of doing what you want him to do. Well, Veronica, that's to abide in him. When we are with him, walking with him, we can hear his voice. We can talk to him. I mean, if you were to spend the day with another really, really dear friend or family member, it'd be really rude if you didn't talk to him at all. Well, Jesus is with us every single day. So we need to be with him. Just be with Jesus. That's so simple. We can all do that. But we try to make it more difficult, more complicated than that. So that's all it means to be with Jesus every day. You know, Veronica, when I first got saved, uh, I, I, I was so thrilled, so grateful to God for saving me that um, I, I want to take him everywhere. And, and uh, I used to call this practicing the presence of God. I used to, I thought I made it up at the time. Of course, I didn't, and nothing is new. But but I didn't know anything about it. But but I wanted to, to be with him every minute of every day. So if I'd go into a restaurant, I'd set a place for him. Um, um, if, I, if I was walking, I'd hold my hand out like I was holding his hand. Uh, I just wanted to be aware of his presence all the time. And when you get used to being with Jesus, believe me, you'll notice instantly when you're not. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be aware of his presence in my life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we do better some days than others, but that's the point we needed to do it. This will probably be the last one. Can you comment? This is from Michael. Can you comment on people who avoid certain issues like abortion, LGBT issues, because they say no one will listen to the gospel if we offend them? Michael, this is one of the things that bothers me uh, as much as anything else. Um, you know, the, the Christian that says, well, you know, if we offend people, nobody will listen. The cross is an offense. The cross is an offense. The gospel is an offense. To tell somebody that they can't get to heaven by doing good things or being a good person to tell somebody they're not a good person. You might be better than me, but you're still not a good person because God is the standard. All those things are going to offend. Michael, what we need to do is stop worrying about offending people. So you tell them. Now, 
I, you know, I, I don't approach people um, with issues. Um, if I'm talking to somebody uh, who is uh, gay or, or transgender, um, what I'm going to do is tell them about Jesus. God loves you, and he died for your sins. And if you give him the chance, he'll forgive everything that you've ever done, and you can start over. And all you have to do is repent of your sins. And when they interrupt and say, well, does that mean I can't be gay? I tell them, yeah, you, you, you can't live a sinful lifestyle. But Jesus will change your heart. All you got to do is deal with him. If Jesus is who he said he was, he said he was God, he proved he was God by not staying dead when they killed him. Well, then if it's clear that he's God, then you've got a decision to make. Are you going to hold on to your sin? Or do you want to hold on to Jesus? And that's offensive. You know, we have a a free doctor's office here. I talk about it quite often on this program. We have a whole bunch of LGBT people who come in. A whole bunch of people. And every time they get prayed for, and every time they get shared the good news about Jesus Christ. And you know what's amazing? Even though they might be offended, they keep coming back because it's free. And it gives us the opportunity to say, well, so is the gospel free. And all you have to do is say to Jesus, I'm sorry, please forgive me. So those of us who are worried about being offensive, we don't understand it all. The very message of Christ crucified and risen from the dead is offensive. Hey, that's it for the week. Tonight, remember, I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 3, finishing it. Sunday in the book of Acts, it is Communion Sunday. And wherever you go to church, go be a blessing to somebody else in the body. Instead of you wanting to get blessed, be a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.